Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and it's our pleasure each week to talk to people who are building a more humane world from the inside out. And today, a movie director and two movie, movie directors uh, on, on the air at the same time. And as you have gotten used to this, uh, folks, uh, this is a Zoom call that we're doing a, a little ahead of, of the Wednesday show. And so I'm welcoming uh, Sergio Rapu and Elena Rapu, uh, wherever you happen to be living now. You were in Minneapolis, weren't you? Yeah, we're st we're still there. We're just outside of Minneapolis oh. uh, for now. Yep. Which has been in the news for various reasons. First, it was COVID and and all of that, and and now it's the uh, George Floyd and and what all's going on with the world in that. Do you have any comments on the world events before we get into the great movie Eating Up Easter that we're going to spend most of the hour on yeah wow what a question it's it's obviously a very difficult time in the world for so many people and the art of listening or being able to just pause and contemplate and and hear without speaking i think is something that i've been thinking a lot about really consciously hear about what is needed and, and how to be a part of growth, not only as, as uh, artists, as filmmakers, but then also as parents, you know, living in, in Minneapolis, uh, living in the US, but very much having our hearts and also different places throughout the world. Yes, uh, anything, Elena? Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to put into words sort of what, what we've experienced in the last few weeks in our hometown and what the world is, is going through right now. But I think um, at least in our, to speak from our own experience and at home, what we've seen grow out of the last few weeks already after the murder of George Floyd um, has been so incredibly beautiful and so much community has been built just we, even within our own block where we were helping each other through the night for weeks um, and keeping watch for each other in a way that we never had before and communicating and 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 growing um, just within that tiny area and then within our our neighborhood and within our city and um, there's art everywhere there's murals everywhere there's everyone has cleaned up. There's these beautiful protests, peaceful protests going on right now. So I think watching that and also watching what we've had this opportunity to pause with what we've all been doing, sitting at home with the pandemic. Right. Um, I think it's made us very hopeful that we can use this time to really, really rethink everything and, and start to question everything in the world. Right now we have this incredibly unique opportunity where everything's been turned upside down basically and when else are we going to get this chance to just rehaul everything and, and all of the sores and all of the problems are just like laid bare right now so clear so um i think we're very very hopeful 
after seeing how much positive and beautiful energy came out of these last two really painful weeks or three really painful weeks, um, that, that we can grow as a world right now. So we're hopeful. Thank you. I'm glad to hear you say that. So you are here talking with me because our community of Jefferson City had uh, scheduled to have a, a documentary that you all made called Eating Up Easter, which we better quickly say is Easter Island, <laughs> Rapa Nui. And now that with the COVID coming along, we didn't even get to have the showing, but I got to watch it several times even before uh, PBS had it on Independent Lens, which was great. And there we taped it and uh, watched it last night and watched it again today. So my wife and I just both are just taken with the story, the, the island. So Sergio, were you born in Rapa Nui? Yeah. Yeah. So my, uh, you know, my, my sh short history of my life is, uh, that I was uh, born on Rapa Nui, Easter Island. Mm -hmm. um, my father is from Rapa Nui uh, and is a native descendant. Uh, so we track our lineage all the way back to the ancient statue carvers that, that uh, carved the Moai. Um, and uh, my mom is American. This is why my English is fairly good, I, I would say. Your father's name is also Sergio, is that correct? Also Sergio, yeah. Sometimes it was very confusing. Um, well, it still somewhat is confusing for people. They'll Google me and find him, or they'll Google him and find me. Uh, so um, thank goodness we're, you know, we don't look that all that too similar. But uh, yeah, he's uh, Sergio Rapu, the archaeologist, uh, and I'm Sergio Rapu, the filmmaker. <laughs> uh -huh. My sister and I were, were born on Rapa Nui, and when I was about eight years old, my family moved us to Hawaii, actually. Um, the educational system in Rapa Nui wasn't that great at the time. And I think uh, my parents really had aspirations for us to really get an American education in the sense that it may help us in the future, right? It's always something that I think parents want for their children is, is right. so we just hopped from one island to another island. Uh, and now, you know, I live in just like a much bigger island, I guess, which is the continent of, of the of North America. But yeah, that's that's it. Yes, and you met this uh, lovely lady here somewhere. Yeah, yeah we actually met on East on, on Rapa Nui. Um, oh wow! About like 17 years ago now, <laughs> long time. Um, I was there the year before that as like a freshman in college. After my freshman year in college, um, doing an archaeological field school. And I had always, always wanted to be an archaeologist and was really excited to find this opportunity to go to some place I'd read about and, and dreamt about, but never thought I would actually go to. Um, and I loved it. I fell in love with it. Um, it was an amazing experience. And I worked all, all year to like earn money to go back the next year and do my um, thesis research there and did that the next year. And that's when we met. But both years I was actually staying at um, Sergio Sr.'s hotel and he was one of the sort of um, teachers for our, our field school. He wasn't um, with the university that was running it, but he was sort of the local archeologist that was working with us. 
and and so yeah the next year I met the younger Sergio and we've been together ever since <laughs> right well I thought it was pretty amazing that uh Koa is being born right in the movie <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah it was about eight years to make the film we had two kids during the process oh. the second one was born like right as we were finishing so he didn't actually make it in the television version there's a little tiny bit of him after the credits in our theatrical version if you okay. stick it out that long but um yeah so a lot changed in our lives during the course of the film this documentary didn't start as home movies did it or how, how did this uh i mean you've been filming this for quite a while and and writing uh well i guess what do you do write the script sort of afterwards or and so in a documentary setting um the writer or, or the screenwriter is always it's a bit of a misnomer um the really the the job of that individual is to try and not only when you're in the early stages of documentary envision sort of what the film may be so that we're crafting essentially get me interviews for this storyline that we're trying to tell but then, as it often goes in documentary, when you don't get the things that you want and you get other things that are just amazing, then again, the, the writer comes in in post-production and editing and saying, okay, well then how, what is the story now? And so, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves working hand in hand with an editor to identify those sound bites, those pieces of, of verite footage that build the, the story. So it's not necessarily like in a, in a drama, for example, where, you know, there's uh, written lines for interviews and things like that. Mm -hmm. I loved it that you were telling your son the story. Right, right. And that, yeah. and that was actually a part of the, the story that we, didn't, we hadn't envisioned uh, when we first started filming. We first started off by wanting to tell a modern day story about Rapa Nui. You know, so much of what people see out there is about the past, is about our ancestors. Um, and so the understanding that somebody has of the island is generally that it's, it's, a, it's a deserted, desolate island with these massive stone statues. Um, not that there's a, a living population, a, a thriving population um, with it, its own sort of issues that, that they're trying to tackle. And so we, we were trying to, to, to bridge that, that gap in understanding by telling a modern day story. And we started focusing initially on the idea of food security. It's a, it's a huge issue on Rapa Nui. In fact, on many um, island communities, it's, it, it's just, it's, it's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Islands for a variety of different reasons just can't produce currently the amount of food that they consume. It's not necessarily that they can't, sometimes they just won't, or some, usually it's easier, right, to import products from the outside. Uh, and so um, just like Hawaii, Rapa Nui has this issue, a massive dependence on uh, food Im importation, primarily from Chile. So we wanted to start looking at that issue. And the more we dug into it, the more we realized that the issue was not so much about food security. It was really just about a small community, you know, trying to modernize and, and, and these questions of how do you maintain 
how do you preserve aspects of your culture while also benefiting from the modern world? Uh, trash, which you know is featured pretty you know heavily in the film, is also a very visual reminder of our use as human beings, right? This uh, sort of habit that we've um, that we've picked up on, and and uh, in most communities, uh, how trash is managed is done behind closed walls um you know for sanitary purposes or for other purposes too right uh but but in, in rapa nui the community is so small and the island is so small that everybody knows everybody else's business <laughs> so um in in that way you know you're able to we were able to sort of tell these stories um uh that are a lot more global in scope but just using uh our community as an example yeah, and then I, I think like, so we started with food security and then bringing in, or as we started asking, interviewing like restaurants and other people about that, we started learning about all the trash that comes in with the food. And so that's sort of how we got interested in looking at and talking to Mama Pidu. We heard a lot of people, especially restaurant owners or like people who worked at hotels saying, yeah, she comes on the radio and like calls us out if we don't send our recycling incorrectly and like we're really scared we don't want to call out we don't want her to call us out on the radio um and so we were like we got to talk to her and like you know get her perspective and she just opened the door to us and was really um like yes the story needs to get out it needs to get out from a Rapa Nui perspective that was another important thing for us we really wanted the Rapa Nui to have a platform or their own place for at least some of them their voices to be heard beyond just um, archaeologists who come in and do a documentary and, and you usually never see any of the living people or if you do it's like right. in, a, in a very cursory way. So obviously we just highlighted a couple of the voices on the island. There are thousands others. There's 7,000 Rapanui <laughs> people um, or at least people living on the island and they all have their own perspective but it was um, really fascinating to learn from the ones that we followed about some of the issues that even having lived there a lot and worked in tourism a lot, we didn't realize were happening until we really started to dig into it with them. And then bringing our kids and our own family in really came later in the film. I mean, we had our kids sort of halfway through the process, our first koa, our first son, and then um, really towards the end is when we, we were trying to, we didn't want to have a narrator in the film. We wanted the Rapa Nui voice just to speak for itself. And, and um, we got pushback from some of our um, mentors in the project about, uh, you know, being a, a Rapa Nui filmmaker, he should put himself into the film and that that's okay. And so we had some early footage where he had been in and then some, uh, a lot of footage where he wasn't. So we had to kind of like piece it together a little bit after the fact in that regard. But then we, we really just had all this home video footage that we had just taken throughout our, our children's like we had filmed had the birth filmed and had not planned on that being in the film but it just happened to work well um and when we kind of finally found the right voice for his narration we realized it really needed to be really personal and really honest about like his sort of living in two worlds and not like being just in Rapa Nui but being in kind of two different places and having that unique perspective but it took a long time for us to find that, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that was probably the hardest part in making the film. We spent about four years filming and another two years editing. Uh, and in that two-year process, we want, we underwent so much of this rewriting. You know, how do we tell this story? 
how do we tell it for a Western audience? Because we knew early on, really in starting to make this film, that this film was not for the Rapa Nui people. It was for those people that either came to our island or wanted to come to our island. And so in the end, we realized that the audience needed needed a way of understanding sort of context of what was happening in, in present day. And so we wanted to try and find this balance between talking about the history of Rapa Nui, but also talking about present day, and then also teasing a little bit of like it, these, these issues and how they're relevant to the rest of the world. So as Elena pointed out, I mean, our son was born in the process of making this film, like a complete curveball to most parents who, you know, have their first child. And so, but it was also a moment of awakening, I think, for us, you know, our understanding of the world changed when now we had this being that we were responsible for, this little boy that was going to inherit all of the good stuff and all of the bad stuff that we do. And so in that way, I think the film's meaning uh, in purpose also shifted a little bit. But the hardest part was figuring out all of this. How do you do all of this? And how, how do you do it all into the film? And I, as Elena pointed out, you know, it really kind of came down to one night, it was probably like one or two in the morning because that's kind of how we, we balanced it out. One or two in the morning, I was, I'm editing, you know, in front of this massive computer screen in our basement digging through a bunch of just our home videos because I need to find more footage of myself. And uh, I come across our son's birth video and it was just a very emotional time for the both of us. And I, and, you know, I just, I cut a little thing together, which um, a portion of it is still the intro uh, of the film that, you know, that made it uh, to the very end. But uh, you know, after like a night of working, I had this like five minute introduction that essentially catapults us into this this story of, oh, it's it's us telling the story about our island to our son. And we sent it around to a variety of, you know, people that had been uh, advisors on the film, sort of, you know, very accomplished documentary filmmakers in not only in Polynesia, but also uh, in the U.S., and everybody's like, yes, yeah, you're onto something, like keep going in, in that path. So this is how we, you know, to your earlier question, like, no, the home videos came in way later after sort of the, the concept of, of uh, what the film was going to be. And in hindsight, we were talking about this before too, all of the footage, all of the home video footage that you see in the film was shot even before the film. So it wasn't that all of a sudden we're like, oh, hey, we need an extra shot of Koa playing with some toys. Like, no, like he was way grown by that, by, by that time. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit more grown. You know, it was just sort of this interesting moment for us to realize, like, we have been documenting these unique experiences in our son's life that just seemed to meld incredibly well in this other story that we were also trying to tell. Well, it really is a beautiful blending of so many storylines. Uh, uh, your father telling his perspective on such a wise <laughs> elder perspective on how, no, it's not a great idea to be an independent island. <laughs> there, there are problems with that. <laughs> you know, just throughout his his uh, voice coming in and 
sort of that voice of calm and wisdom and perspective. And, and then the musical couple, Enrique and Mahani, is that? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, what a team. Uh, just to be there, I guess, at the right time, is that the way that worked out? Uh, we know of, of Enrique because of his music. His music is kind of very unique and, and powerful. And Mahani, too, I, um, I feel like I probably went to school uh, with either her or her cousin or something like that. But we always knew e- each other because we're all kind of related on the island anyway. <laughs> so we had started making this film, and a lot of people knew about it. And, you know, there was this moment when I just bumped into Enrique in the street one day and, you know, he started telling us about this music school that, that they're trying to start. I was like, oh, okay, that's really cool. That's really interesting. So, you know, we did a couple interviews with them. This was before they had built the structure um, that, that appears in the film. Uh, but what was most interesting about their story was here is a couple who is sort of this mixture of past and present. You know, they are both from Rapa Nui. They, we all grew up in sort of this childhood um, based around a subsistence economy, very tight knit small community. And then all of us left the island to, to try and study and sort of get skills, you know, get quote unquote modern skills or, or something from the outside. And, but here they were then returning to try and apply those modern skills to better their community in a more ancient way. Um, it wasn't for them to come back and build a business. It wasn't for them to come back and start a, a tour company or anything, which a lot of people were doing. It was to come back and build a safe place for children on the island and at the same time promote cultural uh, practices and understanding and values and values that they felt like were being lost and language and language yeah oh. yeah mm-hmm. so it, it was something you know it was something kind of unreal and i i remember filming with them and, and you know they they were like the dreamers right like that's that's sort of the, the character i i think we we thought of them as and when we would show rough cuts to people here back in the States for comments, people would get the note of like, oh, they're, they're too perfect. Like <laughs> what, you know, like it, like almost to a fault, you know, they're like, uh, they don't seem real. Like they're, they're, they're beautiful people. They're saying very, you know, wonderful charismatic things. Like this doesn't seem real. So, <laughs> so in fact, then we went back, you know, and we, we shot additional things of them just sort of like, in their home and working and things like that, because I think it was that. Um, and I, they, they're very, they yeah. really know their message, not to advertise it, but like they're just so committed to what they're doing and they can communicate it so eloquently, like yeah. at any moment, you know? And that's that's so incredible to see that. And, and so that really is them, but it, it took some sort of like talking them through, like to get people to really connect with your message um, can we show a little bit more what life is just like for you, you know, on a daily basis? Because that is sort of a really good in for people of like, oh, they're just like me, you know, we're not that different. They, they may have these 
um, incredible ways to say what their interests are, what they're trying to do for their island, but it, their everyday life, I and mean, they're gonna ride on their motorcycle and buy yogurt at the grocery store and go to the, I mean, it's maybe a more beautiful setting <laughs> than most people have, but. And then, you know, they had their, their daughter during the course of the film as well. Yeah, when we went back and filmed a little bit more with them towards the end of the building of the school, we worked hard to get some more of that footage of just kind of their everyday life to make them feel a little bit more accessible to people. Um, but they really are like that even now and they can just, yeah, yeah, be so clear with what their values and their goals are. Yeah, even today, I mean, like they're very, they're very purposeful in, in what they do. And they bring a lot of thought and sort of like heart to, to the things that they're doing. Uh, Toki is still alive and well. They've had to adapt and modify with the, with the times, but they continue to be just sort of this like resounding sort of point in the island of love and support. I mean, they have, be, mainly because of, of COVID, um, and also of um, uh, a huge reduction in in the uh, donations that they were getting from from the government and uh, in other places, um, they've had to uh, temporarily close down a lot of their music classes. Hmm. Uh, however, uh, about a year ago, they started turning all of the land around the school into agricultural fields. This is like on, on an island that barely does any local agriculture. You know, they had the foresight to say, okay, here we have a sustainable building off grid. Now we need ways to feed people. And so today they have a variety of different produce that, it, that is just, uh, you know, they're harvesting all the time and, and are providing for free to the community uh, because it's there, you know. So, so it's, it's, it's a wonderful organization. I, I remember one of them, uh, Enrique or Mahani, I'm not sure, but just gave that vision of, we want this to be a self-sustaining place. I mean, we, we can do this. We can do this. And, and that couple that came from, uh, uh, what, Turkey or somewhere and said, oh, will you, will you, can you scale this? Or, you know, kind of critical about it. And yet, we don't have to scale it. Let's just do it here. And then if other people can scale it, that's their business. <laughs> that, that scene was really interesting because we, we got mixed feedback about that scene in particular, and we were unsure if we should leave it in or not. And, and we realized that some people loved it, some, some people didn't like it. For, for some people, it was like popping their, their bubble of... Uh, you know, of, of joy and sort of bliss and other people are like, no, you should leave, leave it in because it's very critical to what they're doing. And we realized that it, it all depends on what lens you're, you're, you're watching the film with. If you're looking at the lens of sort of business, you know, business development uh, as seen by the Western world, the, you know, the U.S., you see that scene in, in one way, if you are looking at it in, in a way of wanting to try and reinvent things or inspire new ideas, like you kind of see it completely different. So we ended up leaving it in because because they're like, great, it's a great talking point for <laughs> yeah. for just rethinking ideas, you know. Well, I noticed that it was a, a different feel, 
but yet the determination of Mahani in that scene of you're not going to rob me of my dream here simply because mm -hmm. of your perspective out there. And mm -hmm. it was just, uh, it was like, go girl. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And I, I think maybe, Eleanor, you already mentioned Mama Piru, but we didn't really say her name much there or point her out. But this, uh, <laughs> this amazing bulldog <laughs> woman, <laughs> as, as a recycler myself, you know, I, I go find it in the dumpsters uh, if I need to. Uh, what a what a wonderful representative of the earth and, and this whole concept. Uh, can you can you all talk a little bit about Mama Piru? Yeah, she was um, she was amazing. And it was, um, I mean, we first, we knew of her and then we were hearing people, you know, their fears about her calling, the, calling them out on the radio. And so when we went to talk to her, we were a little bit scared of what we would get from her. You know, we didn't really know. And her, her whole family is sort of like that on the island. They can be really intense and they really fight for what they believe in. And sometimes that's different from what other people believe in. And and she did, she sort of called him out for not speaking Rapa Nui. We kind of put that in the, in that part of the first scene with her where she's like, he asks her to speak in Spanish for the people watching the film, but also for him because he um, left the island. He doesn't speak, he understands some of Rapa Nui, but he doesn't speak it or understand it well enough to like keep up a good interview, you know, that would have been able to really get at the issues with her. So she she gives into that and she's okay with it eventually, but she really like kind of calls him out on it at first. And that was cool. That was good. And yeah. And that was just the reality. And I think that was, I, I don't know how it was for you, but like for me being a little bit outside of that and watching that, it was like, this is really great to show because it shows what it's like for him to kind of feel like an outsider on his own Island, having lived away and not knowing the language that well and like what that feels like. And what it feels like for her to maybe be talking to someone that she's sort of like, are you in my community or are you not? You left, but you are Rapa Nui and I want you to tell this story because I can see you have the resources to do it and we need that to happen. So there, there was like a lot underlying that interaction. Um, and yeah, so I think she just fought, she fought for making her, her island, making the environment there better every single day. She was out there in the hot, hot sun every day, cleaning up the coast when she was off work from the recycling center. She was, you know, fighting for better treatment of her workers and better pay and better conditions at the recycling facility, which weren't great. I don't know, if, I don't think that part made it in the film, but I mean, she was just out there champion, like a champion for the environment and for, and for the, and for her culture and for her traditions. And really she understood maybe slightly in a slightly different way than Enrique and Mahani and Sergio, but they all understood. And we tried to show that in the film, like this sort of need to find a way to, to meld what comes in from outside and that that's not all negative with your traditional knowledge and, and that your traditional knowledge and your your culture is going to change and that's it's still your culture the culture is always in process it's always in the process of becoming we can't ever kind of say okay now this is the culture and this is how it's always going to have to be 
And so I think they all understood that to some degree and they understood they needed to incorporate things from the outside, but they needed to lead it and guide it in a way that they felt worked for them and didn't lose their values and didn't lose the essence of, of what it meant to be Robin Williams. Um, and so I think she highlighted, highlighted that really well too. Cause she had lived in France. We have a little bit of that in the film. She had had, had those outside experiences as well. Um, but chose to come back and chose to, to d dedicate herself there, even though she kind of claims she didn't really want to come yeah. back. <laughs> you can tell she really loved it. Loves it. <laughs> well, it seemed like there was, uh, also in the film, the evolution of how things were continuing to work a little better and then a little better. Like I think didn't at some point, uh, either an airline or somebody started taking recycling every week away and I guess you know of course sell it or whatever it was being done but there was still a system that got set up for uh, getting it off the island. Yeah so she really like started the recycling altogether on the island um, a few years before we started filming with her oh. in, in cooperation with the with the like local government there and then um, I mean, it's still running and, and now they've found better ways. At first they were trying to ship it off the island and that was really hard to get ships to take it. They would have to pay to get it off. And now the airlines are, I mean, not right now, they're, they're shut down to tourists right now, but the airline was flying, you know, 10 to 12 flights a week and going back or bringing a ton of supplies in and then going back without those supplies. So obviously they have luggage, but they don't have all of the supplies and the food that they were bringing in anymore. So they're, I think they negotiated a way to get some of that recycling brought that way because they had space for it too. So that's, I believe, still ongoing. I mean, or was ongoing. Everything is sort of different right now with COVID going on. Um, they have maybe one flight a week right now bringing in food supplies, but they don't have any tourist flights coming or going right now. Um, and so that, this, this is definitely a, a new thing for everybody there too, to not have tourism on the island right now. Yeah. I, I thought it was great that you brought in the, uh, the placement of Easter Island or Rapa Nui in the Pacific Ocean where that gyre is, that all of this uh, plastic uh, in this one locale there's another one, I guess, up what north of Hawaii or somewhere further north, but that it's just bringing the world's refuse <laughs> every day when uh, when the waves come in, which was another work that uh, Mama Piru was working on to keep the shores clean. There are groups now that are have kind of taken on that work. Uh, you know, people always kind of want to know like what's happening after after her passing. And uh, there's, there's been several, several organizations that have kind of continued her work in terms of cleaning up uh, microplastics from the coast. The municipality is, has, you know, done also wonderful things. In fact, um, so they sponsor a monthly uh, coastal cleanup that um, most of the community is now a part of. And during this time of, of no tourism and kind of, you know, global shutdown, the island has no COVID cases. So what they've been working on is actually 
cleaning up the island. You know, they've done these massive initiatives to do further coastal cleanups, even sort of more underwater cleanups with um, bigger ribs, rigs, scuba, scuba divers going down and, and clearing that sort of thing. And then on top of that, too, sort of trying to focus more on local agriculture. You know, you always have to survive when you live on an island. So whether that's like the, money, the cash that you get from the tourists in order to buy your food or just making your own food. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes the simplest way to do it is just to make your own food. So the Rapa Nui are working to return to being a bit more self-subsistent until uh, until the time when tourism may come back. You know, everybody is assuming that, that it will. And, and I'm, I'm sure it will at some point. You know, I, I kind of when we made this film, we were actually really concerned that uh, we would deter tourists from coming to Rapa Nui. That the, that the film would actually say, oh, maybe I shouldn't go to this little island, you know, like, like, uh, look, look, look what the tourists are doing to destroy it. And really, I, you know, I, we try and remind people that until the pandemic happened, like tourism provided a lot of really great things for the island. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you know, it adds to the demand of the things that, that the island needs but it provided economic stability for me to, to be able to get the education that I did, you know, uh, um, to be able to like create this film and, and get it in front of people. For a lot of the young people uh, in Rapa Nui, it was also provided them with sort of economic leverage to become doctors and lawyers and, and, and all these other things, right? So there's, there are positives and negatives to the tourism industry, but ultimately what we're talking about in this film is trying to not stop tourism, but educate people um, so, that, so that they understand where they're going to before they get there, and then they can make particular decisions when they're there. We, we strongly believe that sustainability and tourism can happen together. It's not an either-or um, type, of, type of equation, you know, and I think um, what we've seen on, on Rapa Nui really proves that. It also, I, I think, uh, to a further extent, the issues that are happening on Rapa Nui aren't just because of tourists. Uh, it also just has to do with people's habit. You know, us as Rapa Nui wanting particular things or tourists wanting particular things. It all comes down to individual choices of, of how we live our life and how we travel. Um, so if we're able to understand how our personal impact uh, or how our way of travel impacts communities, I think we can actually benefit them a lot better as opposed to harming them in, in some way. Or at least I think our hope is that, especially now with this time to pause that we all are getting, we can really um, make really um, thoughtful choices about where we choose to go, why we're going there, how we're going to get there, and just really think through all the different impacts that we're going to have on this place. And then is that is the benefit of, of our experience traveling and sharing with this other community enough that the that the impacts we can't get rid of are are like worth it, I guess. But how can we minimize everything else, or how can we at least be aware of it? and acknowledge it and maybe try to mitigate it in some way. Because I think at least for a while, most people are gonna have probably less funds than they used to um, coming out of this. And so we're all gonna have to be just a lot more conscious about what we do choose to spend our money on. 
And I think there's tremendous value in travel and in exchanging with other cultures. That's something that Mahani and Enrique really understood. Like, I don't know how much of it is in the film, but a lot of their interviews were about how important it is for us to share with other cultures and learn from them and bring those things in and also share what we can share with the rest of the world. And we can do that, you know, we're finding we can do a lot of that online, but there's a, there is something about standing in that place. And Rapa Nui is such a powerful place to be in. I mean, you can just feel it when you get off the plane. There's something special there. I don't, I think it would really take a lot of the, I don't know, joy of life away if we didn't share with other cultures and we didn't travel and we didn't learn from each other at all. But I think we need to be really conscious about the choices that we're making when we do it. I know uh, I had the desire when I first saw the film uh, to say, where can we donate money to the music school? <laughs> it was like, I want this to exist. I want it to, to thrive. Uh, it, there's no website mentioned. Uh, um, but definitely, you know, Toki Rapanui uh, is the organization that's still uh, ongoing. Um, they have a website. Uh, it's um, Toki, T-O-K-I, Rapanui, R-A-P-A-N-U-I dot org. Uh, another easy way of, of getting to them or, or donating to them is if you go to eatingupeaster.com, that's the website for our film, uh, and under the resources tab, uh, there's a link to where you can donate to them. They've made it uh, pretty easy. They've, they've set up sort of um, a process through PayPal or through credit cards that you can either donate once or sort of be a reoccurring donor. Um, there's also a process if, if you want to get sort of a, they are a nonprofit, and so if you want to get sort of tax credit or that, that sort of a thing, um, there's, there's a process to do that also. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just a, an awesome foundation uh, or, or organization. Um, and even, you know, if people even can't donate, especially now, I think so many of us, you know, are, are in difficult times economically. I think really just spreading the message and, 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 and the word about them and their story ultimately, you know, can maybe get to those people who can provide some sort of uh, service, whether that's um, uh, in skills or uh, in money. Uh, funny, there's um, there's actually, uh, with the actual classes closed down, there are still a set of, of music teachers on the island that are providing music classes for some students. Mm -hmm. And there is even, they're called, uh, they're part of like this global leadership program, but there are musicians in, uh, in the UK and Spain and Mexico and in other places that uh, have built a relationship with Toki, want to continue that message. And so they're even providing music lessons uh, with all the proceeds kind of like funneling to Toki. So here, here is like an example of art, uh, art to better, right, the world. Um, uh, how can we use music and the power of music uh, to get us through this dark time. And I think it's just, it's happening. You know, the, um, the artists are really kind of uh, understanding, or maybe all of us are now understanding the power of, that art can have um, in, in, in the hard times that we're living through right now. Mm -hmm. So. There's a, a word that your father used several times that uh, is one of my favorite words, interdependent. <laughs> And uh, 
that concept was so clear in his mind and in his decision making and how he saw the the past and the present and the future and the business and the culture and it was all interdependent it's a powerful word that that i think we're all becoming maybe more used to saying when we see our dependence on a global food web starting to falter uh, when we're seeing, um, even in the U.S., you know, how uh, the, the shutting down of a, just a handful of, of meat processing plants affects food for the entire country. All, all these things, you know, like our island, Earth, uh, is just that. We are, we are a tiny island, right? So understanding what, what you're dependent on, I think, is really important these days. And at least for us in our, in our tiny island of Minneapolis now, I think we are realizing that we are an island too. Like even the people on our block, you know, um, we know them more, we depend on them more, we share with them more. And yet we're, in, we're dependent on the entire world who's also protesting for our, you know, for our community, for what happened to George Floyd in that instance, but for our Black Americans as a whole, but around the whole world, people are doing it. I mean, yeah, so realizing, to go back to Mama Pidu, she realized the interdependence of like, the island cannot be isolated. We are getting trash from everywhere else. We can't ignore this, you know, we're, we're bringing it in ourselves because we have the money to do that now. It's washing, washing up on our shores. So yeah, I think that that, thought is ever present in our minds and is is central to the film and and was sort of the goal of the film for people to watch it anywhere and think what am i seeing here that's happening also in my own community and how can i do something about it that works in my local environment you know like mama pewter asked us or um early on in the filming she turned to us and was like what does a recycling facility look like where you live like i'm sure you've been there and we were like kind of dumbfounded you know like here we were like studying this here and, and talking with her and learning all about it but we hadn't thought about it where we lived in Minnesota yet um we were kind of embarrassed about that I mean we recycled we thought we were doing the right thing putting our bin out every week trying to put everything we could in it but we didn't really think much about where it went after that and and if it actually got used or you know made it to where it was supposed to go or what kind of an impact that was having and so we went home like really thinking about that and really started to make changes in our own lives but we got that message by doing it there which is a little bit crazy i mean but i feel like that the awareness about that and about plastic and about recycling and all that has really jumped in the last few years since we made the film more globally but back then it was still kind of early in that message getting getting global and we so we felt kind of almost ashamed that it took us going to Easter Island to start looking at those issues in our own community. But that was really when we had this moment of like, the film could do that for people. It could start conversations. And really we just want the film to start conversations mm -hmm. um, in, your own, in your own mind and, and wherever you're living and in your local community about like, what can we do here? How can we start just doing something um, to make change? And, it, and I think that too is what in some ways uh, travel does for people when you move yourself out of your uh, comfort zone your normal space of being like you see the world differently right so many people come to, to Rapa Nui 
and understand something different about themselves or about society or something, and then return back home with that lesson in place. And now all of a sudden this, this starts something new and different in you. Sometimes you just need to be able to leave that home area and then come back to it. So even in times of a global pandemic, it's very possible for people to discover a new place in their city, in their town. That is the tourism of right now, right? <laughs> that sort of takes you outside of like your normal daily, <laughs> whatever it is these days, um, right. and, and truly give you some inspiration. Have you uh, actually seen or helped create discussion groups around presentations of the film? Have you seen experiences of that happening? And, and I'm wondering, uh, is there, say for instance, if I wanted to have a Zoom meeting with friends after we watched this movie, um, is there a way that all my friends could watch this movie? Yeah, so um, uh, current from now until June 26th, it's streaming for free on pbs.org. Uh, it's part of uh, the system of, of uh, that Independent Lens does. You know, whenever there's a broadcast, there's also about a month of free streaming. And then after that, we're working um, with a distributor to get it out onto sort of more platforms, iTunes, video on demand, that sort of thing. But when it comes to having discussions, that's a really important part of all of this. And it's something that both Elena and I are, uh, are huge supporters of. You can't have change unless you have the discussion around what are the issues affecting me and our community. Um, and so with that in mind, we um, have been and are continuing to uh, have discussions with, with different uh, community groups. Uh, sometimes there are other PBS stations that want to have sort of a, a Q&A session and discussion time with us um, after, after watching the film. Uh, we even just did one with like a small library um, in, in Colorado. And so best way to do that is you can either reach out to independent lens pop-up. Um, those are the people that are, that are kind of funneling all of that. Uh, or you can reach out to Cartemquin Films. They, are, um, they were a co-production partner with us in the film and are, and are managing some of that outreach stuff too. Um, we're, we're, always, we're always really excited about promoting that discussion because for us, the story of Rapa Nui is a story of so many other small communities uh, across the world really. And if, if we can help sort of bridge um, that connection and, and get people talking, uh, the better. However, the, the caveat is always that we're not the experts. So part of this discussion is also inviting in people who are the experts in those topics in your own community, you know, whether it's language preservation, recycling, waste management, all of that stuff. We have indigenous people. So we're talking about indigenous issues. We have slavery because uh, in your history, uh, 1,500 Rapa Nui's are hauled off to Peru, uh, you have uh, smallpox that comes in and devastates. So we have <laughs> invading viruses. Well, what's, what's your next project? Or you're already probably working on another project? 
besides the family project? <laughs> yeah, that's on me. Yeah. Um, well, we we have uh, we have actually have a couple of projects in development. Um, we have one new documentary that we're currently working on, having to do with human impact on the Great Lakes, um, in the Great Lakes area. So that's you know not island focused, but obviously environmentally focused and very important uh, to everybody when it comes to sort of the the cleanliness of, of water. And uh, another one that we're in early stages of too is uh, really trying to tell the story that we thought we were telling in Rapa Nui initially. Um, the, it's a, another feature length documentary about uh, food security, food sustainability in Hawaii, which uh, you know is a, again, a huge uh, tourism center for the US, uh, but also imports nearly 90% of all of the food consumed there. And they're, they're a huge island chain compared to our tiny Rapa Nui. So those are a couple of new ones. Okay, so you have uh, a couple of films. Uh, uh, by the way, was this movie, Eating Up Easter, was that the first uh, project that you worked on as, as far as a documentary? Or where did um, you cut your teeth? Yeah, great question. So it, it was the first film that uh, both Ellen and I had worked on together. We we're also going to call it our first independent uh, documentary. Prior to that, I, for a long time, for about um, 15 years, I guess, have been working in television production. So I have produced and written a lot of episodes for series that have appeared on the History Channel, Travel Channel, uh, National Geographic, those types of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are, you know, obviously kind of a, a different style of documentary, but always kind of have been involved in that uh, documentary storytelling world. And this way, in this film, we were actually, you know, it was a great time for me to take kind of my career and sort of my culture and finally put them together you know so it was a, it was a really nice project to to do do you mind me asking what's your sister oh uh, my older sister so uh, there there is a misconception that mahani is my sister oh no uh, i know that she's I knew not that. okay oftentimes because, and we didn't realize that we were cutting it together, but now we watch the film and we're like, oh yeah, I can see how people may think that Mahani is my sister. She's not my sister, but my, my older sister, my only sister, Juliana, she and her husband uh, live in Hawaii and they run a couple of organizations there, mainly around uh, environmental conservation uh, and teaching really like, providing tools for green economies and, and circular economies uh, to at-risk youth, right? So, so they work uh, with youth in Hawaii uh, as well as with preserving native species uh, that, are, that are really kind of being devastated there too. So they, they do some really awesome work. They inspire us all the time. They may and, show up in your Hawaii documentary. Yeah, yeah, we're actually kind of in collaboration with them on that one. That's so. cool. That's cool. Great, great. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> Super. Mm -hmm. Well, would you all like to share some uh, closing words? Uh, always try to give some time at the end for just 
some thoughts that you want to share about anything? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'd love to just underscore, I think what Elena said earlier, that this is a great time for reimagining our world and, and our processes. We're doing it just as parents to two little rambunctious uh, kids. And we, at the same time as reimagining, like, how we could do things different, how tourism could be different, how film production could be different, all of these things to maybe be uh, less wasteful. I personally am also realizing that it's okay to just stop and wait to experience the world as it is. And I'm a huge workaholic. I don't know if, if that came out clear, but like working the two or three in the morning is something sometimes that I enjoy. So it's been really hard for me to just kind of like go on hikes, go on walks and not really think of much, you know? And it's, it's actually kind of maybe the mo most nourishing time that I've had in a really long time. So um, I would just encourage people to like experiment, you know, with, with what their normal looks like during, during this time. Yeah, we'd uh, love for them to watch the film if they're interested, Eating Up Geister, and and to start discussions, start thinking about like what you do in your own life and, and whether it needs to be that way or what you can challenge yourself to, to try to do differently. Wonderful. Well, what a, a great opportunity. I, I just feel blessed to have you on the screen in front of me and uh, to have the chance to, to talk with you for this hour. Um, yeah. So yeah. Thank you so much for having us, Dick. This yes, is really you. great. Such a pleasure. I, I'll do my little closing now to uh, the listening audience and say, uh, remember, folks, wherever you are, that is your world. Uh, please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. And talk to you soon.